Hello and welcome back to Benaiah, Mighty Man of God by P.H. Thompson, an audiobook. This is chapter 4. And he, Benaiah, struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Benaiah went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. 2 Samuel 23:21 ESV and he killed an Egyptian, a man of great height, five cubits tall. In the Egyptian's hand there was a spear like a weaver's beam, and he went down to him with a staff, wrested the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. First Chronicles 11.23 It wasn't a difficult decision for Benaiah to become a mercenary soldier rather than a member of King Saul's army. Not only had he lost respect for the king because of what his father had told him about his disobedience, but Benaiah heard stories of the king's melancholy and suspicious attitude towards his son-in-law David. Because David was successful wherever he went, the women who composed victory songs praised David over Saul, attributing victory over thousands to Saul, but tens of thousands to David. Whether it was literally true or not, Benaiah didn't know, but the king had supposedly made several attempts on David's life as a result. Such a king was not worth following, yet Benaiah wanted to fight the enemies of Israel. As a mercenary soldier, he could do this. They were paid handsomely with any spoils they acquired. He and about 20 other soldiers would go on raids in regions hostile to Israel. Sometimes they actively sought out the enemy, and other times, like today, they stumbled upon them. As Benaiah stood on a hill and looked down towards the massive Egyptian soldier standing in the valley in front of him, his hand grasping a spear the size of a weaver's beam, he felt like young David from the story his father had told him about Goliath. He and eight other mercenary soldiers were returning from a skirmish against the Philistines. He had not expected to run into this group of Egyptians, much less to be challenged by the one the others called Sebni. Since no one else in his company volunteered to fight the man, Benaiah prayed for wisdom and strength and stepped up to the competition. Mikhail had tried to convince him to take some more substantial weapons to use against the man. Mikhail's weapon of choice was a javelin, and Benaiah marveled at the distance and accuracy with which his friend could attack a target. While Benaiah was most comfortable with his club and dagger, both weapons uh, were more suitable for hand-to-hand -hand combat. He chose a staff to attack the soldier, a staff he could probably snap in two with ease. The Lord had been with young David and had given him a resounding victory over Goliath. Benaiah prayed the God of David would perform a similar miracle through him. The man stood five cubits tall. Benaiah had always thought, his own four cubits was intimidating, as he rarely had to look up to any man. But even standing uphill from this fully armored Egyptian, he felt almost like a child. And Benaiah was not nearly as adept at using a slingshot as young David had been. Sebni was uncommonly handsome, with dark wavy hair and a smooth face, a square jaw and intense eyes. He seemed ill-suited for such a rough profession. He should have been surrounded by soft linens, servants, and the finer things of life, not glaring down at Benaiah. Hebrew, he spat. Benaiah was surprised at the use of the old term. While technically true, 
Now that they were settled in Israel, a country named after the patriarch Jacob, most of their neighbors and enemies referred to them as Israelites, or even as servants of Saul. Personally, Benaiah wanted no association with King Saul, which was why he had chosen to fight as a mercenary instead of with the armies of Israel. The Egyptian looked past him to the small group of Israelite soldiers, standing well behind him, Mikhail among them. Just one of you has the courage to challenge me, he snarled. I could take on all of you at once. Benaiah didn't doubt it. The man's upper arm was as thick and solid as his own thigh, but he could not allow the taunts of his enemy to go unanswered. He was the son of Jehoiada, after all. Benaiah remembered Simeon telling him and Mikhail that a soldier must be aware of his enemy's weaknesses and exploit them without hesitation. But what if an enemy didn't have any weaknesses? He should have asked Simeon that question, he thought wryly. Sebni, the giant's armor-bearer, called to him and extended an arm to offer alternate weapons. Sebni shook off the suggestions and planted his feet into the rocky terrain, an immovable, unconquerable object if Benaiah had ever seen one. But then he recalled what he'd heard about the famous battle where Saul's son Jonathan and his armor-bearer defeated a large number of Philistines. They were outnumbered, tired from climbing uphill, and exposed, yet he said, God can save whether there are many or few. Standing straight and tall, Benaiah called out, God can save whether there are many or few. His voice sounded braver than he felt. Sebni laughed. The Lord? Do you still believe in that invisible God of yours, instead of the one that shines on us every day and gives life to all? The Egyptians worshipped the sun god Ra, yet this pagan soldier had perfectly described the god worshipped by the Israelites, the creator of all things, including the sun. Our God, who defeated your paltry gods quite soundly before Israel left Egypt, is the one who gives life, yelled Benaiah, yet you do not acknowledge him. Therefore, he will this day take it from you. With a final prayer for wisdom and strength, Benaiah charged down the hill. In order to make use of his staff, Benaiah had to get up close to Sebni. Benaiah kept his eye on the giant's hand to see if he would launch the massive spear in his direction or go for the dagger attached to his side. Benaiah darted to his right so that if the giant did launch his spear, he'd have to pivot giving Benaiah an additional blink of an eye to dodge it. Sebni closed the gap between them, squinting against the setting sun almost directly behind Benaiah's head. Benaiah smiled. The Lord was using his creation, the man's own God, against him. Then, in a single fluid move movement, Sebni bent his knees and hefted the spear to his right shoulder. As quickly and effortlessly as if he were knocking an arrow, he aimed it at Benaiah. Benaiah skirted left and sprinted around the man. Sebni whirled around. With his weapon still hoisted on his right shoulder, he bent his knees, holding his left arm out in front of him for balance. He pulled his shoulder back to launch the spear, but the movement caused the small round rocks beneath his feet to roll. He faltered, and Benaiah scrambled behind him. When Sebni turned to face Benaiah, he lost his balance on the uneven ground and was blinded by the setting sun. Benaiah took advantage and thrust his staff into the opening under Sebni's metal elbow plate, the only part not protected by armor. 
Benaiah heard the crack of breaking bone. Sebni winced and dropped his spear. As he bent to grasp his weapon, Benaiah struck his helmet with a loud clang. Sebni's head lolled from side to side for a moment, and then he fell over, landing with a great thud. Benaiah fetched the spear, lifted it with some difficulty, and carried it back to Sebni, who was moaning on the ground. Benaiah shoved aside the man's breastplate, hoisted the heavy spear up over his head, and with a grunt of supreme effort, thrust it into his chest. A cheer rose up from his compatriots, who rushed up to Benaiah and patted him on his back. Benaiah stood over the fallen giant, drawing in deep breaths. He was more exhausted than he'd ever felt in his life, but he thanked God for giving him the victory. Benaiah rocked the weapon back and forth a few times to dislodge it. When it pulled free of the dead man's chest, blood poured out of the wound and soaked the ground around him. Benaiah tossed the spear to the ground and walked away from the bloody corpse. The few remaining Egyptians, seeing the battle was now against them, turned and fled. What are you going to do with the spear, Benaiah? Mikhail asked as his companions took a closer look at the corpse at their feet. Indeed, what could he possibly do with a spear the size of a weaver's beam? Perhaps Mariah would like him to build her a new loom. He smiled. I suppose it will, I will keep it as a reminder of the faithfulness of the Lord in defeating our enemies. Mikhail laughed. Our challenge will be bringing this massive thing back home. His friends looted the corpse of its armor. Benaiah chuckled. No one else will fit into that, you know. Mikhail cocked an eyebrow. Perhaps we can melt it down to make a few iron swords? The men all looked to Benaiah. What happened with the spoils of his enemy was his decision to make. Yes, take them. As they departed toward Kabzeel, two men hoisted the spear off the ground with great effort and positioned the giant's armor atop it. Benaiah withdrew the giant's dagger from his waist and examined its fine workmanship. As he took one last look at the man on the ground, he remembered his brother's words as he carried him back home. You'll fight giants too. Keep listening for chapter 5.